0: You're listening to Body IO FM with your hosts, Kiefer and Dr. Rocky, where cutting edge science meets the razor's edge of health and performance. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Body IO FM with your host, Kiefer, and co host, Dr. Rocky Patel. Hey, Kiefer. Again, the standard delayed reaction from Rocky. Uh, I thought I was on point there. Well, yeah, that's that's not what it looks like when I look at the audio feed here. Um, but anyway, yeah, remember everybody, check out our sponsors High Lead Athletic Wear. You can find links on the website, uh, Car Backloading Carb Night, uh, Transforming Recipes. Uh, I would say Shockwave Protocol, but you should just get that for self-interest because that doesn't really help support us at all, but it is actually great information that's free. That's at shockwaveprotocol.com. Uh, you can find links to all this stuff all over the website. So I highly recommend you check it out, especially the newest edition of uh, Transforming Recipes, the desserts book. There's some amazing stuff in there. Uh, far beyond anything I was ever able to come up with for carbonate, So I highly rec- recommend checking that out. And on this show, and I alluded to it on the last show a little bit. We have what I consider um, probably one of the most monumental exclusives to hit the fitness industry in um, the last decade. Because there's, there are several missing components in the fitness industry as we know. And one of them is really helping to help people to understand the psychology behind the decisions they make and how that affects their health and their medical care costs. And not only that, you know, uh, some sort of methodology for helping to assess that and then actually helping create an action plan based on that kind of type. And that really is nowhere out there right now, which is unfortunate. But what is fortunate is uh, several years ago, I happened to be introduced to Alex Navarro's father, Fred Navarro. Everybody's familiar with Alex Navarro. Her father, Fred, is actually a PhD researcher in that exact field. And some of the stuff that he's been exploring... And what he recently got his PhD in is just simply amazing. I mean, we we geeked out over it because there's a deep mathematical component to what it is that he's doing. But the amazing thing is that he's been able to take that deep mathematical understanding and translate it into something that's very usable for the average person. The problem is the average person doesn't know about it. So we have finally got Fred on a podcast and uh, I'm just gonna let him start by introducing himself and giving us a little elevator pitch that he just gave that was phenomenal so let's hope we can continue and keep that magic
1: okay hi everybody I'm Fred Navarro the the purpose of this what I've been studying for the past 20 years it's a result of my master's thesis in health psychology and what I found was that there are these patterns that exist all across the United States that underlie how people behave around health. As I've studied this, these patterns over the course of the last 20 years, I've found that they, they impact rates of how much you're gonna spend in your lifetime, how much medical costs will be associated with your care, your um, rates of depression, rates of bipolar disorder, heart disease, cancer, as well as levels of health. Uh, these patterns identify the healthiest people in the population. It also identifies the people with the worst levels of health. Um, over the course of my professional life, I've mainly shared this information with health plans and hospitals as they deal with their populations. But I see now that this this understanding of these patterns and how they affect your health really has to be known by everybody. Because it's an unknown factor. You can't, you, you can't be aware of it. There's no way to be aware of it unless you assess yourself. That's the purpose of me being here today.
0: Um yeah, so let's <clears throat> so these patterns you know they're really interesting to me because they can uh predict so many different things about a person with um you know what what is essentially um a pretty basic questionnaire so what how did you you know from my perspective, I can't even actually fathom how it was that you developed this set of questions to be able to analyze somebody uh, to break out their pattern in the way that you have. So, um, you know, what, what was it that kind of, you know, triggered that set of questions? Like how you, how you went about finding like, you know, did I, it's hard for me to even relay because the mathematical side for me is like very easy to understand Um, like that part of it. But, the psychological side, like what it was that you were trying to ask of somebody to get this parameter like that is, I can't even fathom, you know, what those kind of basic parameters are.
1: Um, well, when I started doing the research about it, I looked at the literature, you know, the research that had been done up to that point and looking at what are the different behaviors people engage in that predict different levels of health. <laughs> And there are studies that looked at how people's focus on family affects health, Uh, people's focus on, of course, physical activity and patterns of eating, things like that. Also, um, how decision-making, whether they're internally driven versus externally driven, that impacts health and medical costs. Um, Issues around how often, how they respond to illness. Do they live with a problem and just let it fester, or do they seek care right away if they have a problem. That's the dynamic of care seeking and care avoiding That that's really not, not addressed that much in research, but I, I addressed it in my model because it was an important factor in determining levels of response to health and medical costs. Um, other issues are things like, do they experiment with different health care alternatives like alternative medicine and things like that? Or do they stick with traditional go to the doctor, do what the doctor tells you? Um, Levels of health information seeking were shown up in this review of literature and in terms of its impact on health. People with higher health literacy tend to do better than people with low health literacy. So in, in looking at the research, I really focused on a broad list of behaviors in different, in different contexts and how people behave. And my goal was to get a pretty comprehensive list Of factors which affect health, but a broad list, because I started the 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 research with the idea that I've I've seen research in the past that showed that you can find patterns in people. Um, It's usually they do it in marketing research and do this, you know, like cluster-based segmentation, which identifies patterns in people. Um, So I kind of took the same approach. The way I developed the question set was very specific because if you ask a person a general question, they're going to give you a general answer. The best way that I have found the way I designed my assessment was to give people a set of strong statements that that they had to say either yes or no, or they had to strongly agree with or disagree with. So a question like, um, I always participate in active and competitive sports. Um, a person reading that, if they always do, they'll say, "Oh, I strongly agree." If they don't, may they avoid it completely? They're going to say, "Well, I strongly disagree because I don't always do that." So what I did was develop a whole bunch of statements like that—a a list of over forty—and um, tested it with, you know, with a like a pre-testing group. Made sure people responded to it, they understood what the question said um and then i went around then i designed a large study uh actually actually a number of large studies which asked these questions of adults 18 to 84 years old
0: wow so you have a broad demographic and i want to apologize i should have uh you and i've talked so i forgot to correctly introduce you as dr fred navarro congratulations i know that's a Thank very you. recent yeah yeah that's
1: <clears throat> yeah Not used to it yet. (laughs) Yeah,
0: sorry. Sorry about that. I I should have thought about that sooner. But, um, yeah, so can you – do you have any questions at this point, Rocky? Because I know all of this is new to you.
2: I find this fascinating because, you know, just reflecting on my own patient population, I can certainly see certain patterns of how patients behave and what they do and how I know – I might be successful or not successful with helping them get them where they need to be. I um, never really thought about it in a standpoint of looking at the downstream effect of utilization cost, et cetera, et cetera. So I, this is really kind of uh, really interesting and fascinating because certainly the I would think that the, the end game here is that if you can identify these certain patterns, then we can start looking at algorithms or interventions to maybe change that pattern if they're changeable, I guess. So are they changeable?
1: Okay. I'll address that issue. Um, (laughs) you mentioned two things that I think are important. Uh, One of them is that, like you say, in in my training and working with clinicians and doctors, they all say, like you said, I can tell people, you know, have different patterns of behavior and you can get a sense of how those patterns are going to impact your ability to, you know, talk to them and manage them and motivate them in a sense but you but you're right they they can't connect that to then outcomes and long term outcomes and that's what this model does because it is a standardized approach to looking at a population the same set of questions you use every single time and the patterns that are identified are the same patterns every single time uh, i've evaluated the reliability that they you know the the, the patterns over the past decade and you know, if you can scale these, it's like 0.99% reliability in terms of how well the patterns found in New York in 1990 match the patterns found in San Francisco in 2014. It's amazing. I didn't plan that at all, but it's just like, wow, you know, to think that even impresses me, but actually worked with clinicians and I've developed a way to to apply different techniques of communication that if you know the pattern of the person you're talking to, you can apply a set of techniques which actually disarm them if they're resistant, get them to comply, get them more engaged, recognize when they're going to be tuning out, and stop it before it happens. Um, In my own working with a group of 10 telephonic nurses in a disease management context, I trained them to, to well, they, were, they would be told what this pattern of this patient is. And then they would apply a set of techniques to talk to them. And over the course of a year, um, all the connectivity, people entering the phone they were there, that went up. People's time on the phone, that went up. People's um, setting and meeting goals, that went up. And it was a real dramatic impact on the actual medical costs. They compared, there was a control group, and we compared the control group to the people who were intervened based on their pattern, and there was a drop of about $532 per person. So for the group, for everybody who was in an experimental group, there was a savings of over $500,000 with that group. Just by changing the way nurses talked to them. It was an amazing impact. That is,
2: yeah. And that's incredible because, you know, as our population is getting older and older, the amount of cost is going up and up and up, especially with all the chronic diseases we have. And certainly uh, from a Medicare standpoint, it's one of the incentives us as clinicians have is trying to um, improve quality and um, deliver it with less quantity. So um, these tools sound amazing to use in practice. And I'm sure that you got feedback from clinicians who were um, probably already doing this to a certain degree with certain you know patterns, but not necessarily putting one align with the other. Were you able to go back and then talk to clinicians and see what they were doing um, in those specific patterns that seemed to um, align all the time?
1: Yes. Well, it, what they really liked was they were engaging in certain patterns of it, of of communication with a purpose they knew the strengths and weaknesses of the person they're talking to based on their pattern and through knowing that they actually felt better about their jobs cuz they felt more successful they disarmed disruptions you know or, or, or patients who who weren't communicating they broke that down and they were, they actually felt more empowered to positively impact the pe- person they were talking to because they knew what to expect of them. Uh, one thing that these nurses that I, they were all nurses that I, that I've seen before is that, that all the nurses fall into one pattern mainly, which was amazing. But, <laughs> but when you, if you understood what that <laughs> pattern is, you understood why, why, Nurses are in it, but once they realized that they had their own pattern and they had to step back and realize, I think this way because I'm in this pattern, but not everybody is. So when I talk to a person, I have to realize I can't apply my value set, what I think is the right thing to do to this person because they're going to, depending on the pattern, they're going to oppose it. And they're going to be turned off right away, right? So,
0: so if you so this is you know from a clinician standpoint or from a coach's standpoint, um, even you know life coach, nutrition coach, anything like that. Uh, obviously, these tools have massive value to be able to separate yourself from what it is you value and what motivates you and then be able to talk to the other person in their value system, you know, what it is that's valuable to them and what motivates them. So let's say you what else so I'm really curious about the nurses because like we talked about this is information that nobody has ever had access to on a personal level. I mean, this is you know, probably that those nurses are some of the first people who did have access to that type of knowledge. You know, what was it what besides working with other patients was there anything else that they were able to do for themselves in using those patterns did were you able to get any kind of data that way like how it changed not only their interactions with the patients but also um say their interactions with their family or their interaction their personal interaction with food all that kind of stuff because in in general and i'm you know i'm not trying to denigrate a profession but in general some of the more unhealthy people that we see are in the healthcare system, uh, which which seems like such an oxymoron to me, but we do see that a lot.
1: Uh, no, I wasn't able to. I wasn't able to do that. And on on that issue, this is what's what's very fascinating to me. That I've done trainings and presentations for you know top executives, and w- where they're they're all given their assessment, they all find out what their pattern is. And then I talked to them about here are the risk factors for this pattern. here are the the positive and negatives for this pattern. you know this pattern will is going to cost you, but begin this pattern you're going to spend over you know five thousand dollars more in the next year because you're in this pattern and it goes in one ear and not the other. <laughs> Honestly, I've only seen one person who learned about their pattern, you know, in a very kind of casual way, mm-hmm. and came to me after and said, "Can I change? Can I change my pattern?" And I think what that says is that that people it takes them a while to appreciate what they've been what they've heard. It takes them it takes it a while to sink in hearing the outcome of your pattern there's going to be a bit of denial at first, especially if it's one that's the outcomes aren't so great right? because it requires changing many things. So
0: is it possible that those groups uh, rather consistently, and, and I don't know if you looked at the results after or during, but were they all of a particular type of pattern that just either was resistant to that information or they didn't really care? Um, cause we've, we've talked about different aspects of different patterns before in the past, you know, we haven't yet, but I know those are, those are some aspects, like some patterns just don't care. And just like with the nurses, maybe, you know, in certain levels of business or in certain businesses, it attracts a certain pattern. Is that, was that what you found there or people are just, you know, basically.
1: Yes. Um, well in a, in a group of executives. There's uh, and people people like in these you know health plans and hospital staff. Um, there there's a fairly good mix. You, you rarely find some patterns because some patterns, like you say, don't aren't involved in health, don't care about health, and they're they're out there doing their own thing without concern for it. You don't find them very often in a health, in the healthcare field. So it's it's there are patterns that are more likely to if they hear about it to think they want to change it because no one knows they have a pattern. The name of the, name of the, the model is Patterns of Adapting to Health. And the, the adapting part is very important because a pers- how a person adapts to situations maximizes the, their own benefit and minimizes harm to themselves. That can be physical harm or psychological harm physical benefit or psychological benefit. So if something makes them feel good about themselves, they're attracted to it. If something makes them feel bad about themselves, they tend to try to avoid it. And in across any specific behavior, part of that action is automatic. It's habitual. and It's part of the adaptive nature of people is that That we engage in behaviors, and our brain sees a situation before we're actually aware of it, and prepares us to either move towards it because it's attractive, or move away from it because it's harmful. So, in hearing a a person hearing their pattern for the first time, in hearing pieces of it, when they start hearing it, a part of it that means I have to change something in me that's been that's been a habit for the My life to this point, it's very hard, very difficult.
2: Right. So are these – this might be too broad a question, but so are these patterns – are they described? Is there a name to each pattern or is there a specific way you could maybe describe patterns that you find in the populations at the extremes, the one that that are going to be the worst off and the ones that are going to be the best off?
1: Okay. Then I'm going to describe three of them. Okay. Because – Worst off and best off is, is depends on the, which one, but right subjective. I'll talk first one. I call I call path two, and that one basically call them health contented people. And by health contented, it means they're happy with the way they are, they're happy with their state of health, whether it's good or not. They're not motivated to improve it, they live with whatever problems they have. Um, they're not motivated to see care about it. They're not motivated to eat well. They're not motivated to to do anything around improving their health. Their their patterns of adapting are to just deal with everyday stuff. If it, something tastes good, I'm going to eat it. If something, you know, I don't care about calories too much. I'm just not conscious. I don't care about it. I and have lots I have, of those patients. Okay. <laughs> and it, but but here's the thing: if they if I have a medical problem, I'm going to live with it, unless my leg's broken and one of my eyes is hanging out of my my the ball of my socket. You know, I'm not going to do anything about it. So these people tend to avoid care. They don't go that not because they don't trust doctors, not because necessarily they they can't afford going to the doctor. They just don't want to go, and so that's one group. This is the, the health contended group and they're across all age groups, a little bit more often male than female, um, pretty much across all educational groups. So race, education, age, whatever does not define this group. Um, the next group I'll tell you is, is called path seven. This group is called healthcare driven. They're the opposite of path two. They're very much into healthy dieting very much into seeking information about health, but not exercise. They, they claim they exercise more than five days a week, but it's moderate. It's maybe walking a little while walking on the street, it's gardening, you know, it's, it's, it's moderate levels of exercise, but they're very attuned to their health at the first sign of a problem gonna to go to, they're gonna call the doctor get an appointment. They have the highest medical cost of physician visits. They have the highest cost for prescription medications. When you look at their demand for healthcare, it's the highest of any, any group out there. But they're and they they and because they go to the doctor a lot, they have a lot of diagnosed conditions. They have diagnosed diabetes, they have diagnosed you know heart disease. Because they something's wrong and they can tell something's wrong and they, it's like if they don't get the answer they want from their primary doctor, they're going to want to go to their secondary doctor. They want to go to a specialist and they have the highest rate of specialist visits. So that group is the opposite of path two in a way, but because, because they are very attentive to their health, but their response is to seek care in terms rather than avoid it. The last group I'll tell you is called Path 8. And the name of this group is Independently Healthy. And this group has a moderate level of going to the doctor, very involved in vigorous physical exercise, very involved in eating right, uh, eating good nutritional food, um, very cognizant of of health information, health information seekers, um, not so much involved in family health, but they want their family to be healthy, but they're not really that engaged in it, family-wise. And this group ha- is the best health. They have the lowest rates of all diseases. They have average medical costs, because they do go to the doctor for physicals, and you know they need a shot for a medication, that, that kind of thing. Um, but they're the best off. What's what's funny is though the, the one bad behavior this group has behavior like they like to like, to, like their, their drinks they like their alcohol, uh, they have the highest That's rates of drinking, you know. That's um, interesting. <laughs> but it does but it doesn't impact their health because they're the best off. They're the mm-hmm. best off people. Um, so those are three groups that um, that are identifiable by these patterns um, that are very, very different. Yeah. Well, that's uh,
2: fascinating. I, <laughs>
0: oh, go ahead. Rocky. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay. I'm going to go, I was going to say, you know, clearly listening to that, um, I can say I'm very, very strong in path eight, um, which would make sense with my history and everything I do. Uh, even the family component, I would like family to be healthy, but I'm not highly engaged in that. Uh, the one oddity there is I don't drink. Uh, I've never drink. And, it, it, it makes me curious if paths can overlap because when you talked about path two, um, health contented, that actually resonated with me a little bit in that like, I won't go to the doctor. I almost actively avoid going to the doctor. If there's a problem, I seek some way to solve it myself. Uh, I'm, so I'm not really contented, but I do very much stay away from healthcare. Um, are, are there overlaps there or is, or am I even a different pattern or, you know, I just sit somewhere different in how those patterns are located? Uh, you, the audience doesn't know, but you can actually plot out these patterns and see how they're associated um, a, a, essentially in space, in this geometrical space you can create. So am I, you know, floating around between those two or...
1: I would say my meeting before, um, in that way, because I am a Path 8 as well, mm-hmm. and so is Alex. <laughs> yeah. So is Alex. Um, and it's clear she is. I mean, she was a Path 8 since, since she was two years old. <laughs> um, but, but yes, you can be, um, let me think of how to say this. Somewhere in this in this space, the psychological, psycho behavioral space, these patterns sit. And some, if you're in one pattern, you're t- you tend to be far from other patterns, or you could be close to other patterns. It's possible for a person to be, say, seventy percent close to one and thirty percent close to the other, and then nothing near, not near anything else. So a person isn't like in a group. It isn't like you're in a group and everybody in that group is the same. It's like like these patterns are there and people are different distances from them and the, the, the degree to which their their own behavior emulates that pattern. But you can clearly see that the more you emulate that pattern, the more you are affected by that, the more that pattern affects your overall state of health. And, and yes, it's true that that so you can be have the 30% of something and 70% of the other. Um, so, yes, it's possible to have to be under the influence, I guess, of more than one pattern. You can actually be under the influence of three of them, but that means that that there is one that's probably 50, the other two are 25, 25. You know, it's yeah, um, the, the percentage to which the patterns impact you will always end up to
0: 100%. So, it just depends on how close you are to that pattern, how many of the traits or how many of the basically the yeah pattern traits i guess that you possess is how close you are to that pattern which then is kind of a feedback that tells you how much the pattern will then determine certain things about you like your healthcare costs uh, your health your rate of disease all those kind of different things
1: yes and and that's what my my dissertation looked at for my phd Is it not that people are in these path groups, you know, unless they're in a group, but that they, um, that how much their, their distance from any one of the patterns as they approach it, how that affects their medical costs. That's what my dissertation looked at, but that's true of having diabetes type two or having cardiovascular disease or having high blood pressure or having depression, um, as a person emulates the pattern at a greater level, in a sense, it's like all of us are vibrating. Our, our our as we move through time and we engage in life every day, we actually follow a pattern of doing things and it vibrates at a certain frequency, I guess. The main pattern, the the pattern that the pattern that path identifies, that's so we basically uh, what's whatever we modulate modulated to that pattern at different degrees as our modulation matches that pattern greater, the, the impact on our health is greater associated with that pattern.
0: So essentially as we tune in, like on a radio station, if you, you tune your radio to yes. it, you get, yeah, the huge message. And that's what's going on there. When we're really in tune with that path, that's when it has the greatest effect on us.
1: Yes. Right.
0: So what were you going to say earlier, Rocky? Oh.
2: Oh, I was, well, first of all, I thought it was, I, that was a fascinating explanation of those three pathways. And obviously initially my thought process was more linear, but this is much more heterogeneous and, um, overlapping. Uh, I would almost identify it almost like a Venn diagram, right? Where you have overlapping areas and, you know, maybe yes. you're, you're overlapping in one here that's 30%. You're overlapping another one that's 10%, that type of thing. Um, but I think that uh, it is uh, really amazing that you can identify all these different properties. And it's, and even though it's so complex, you've got it narrowed down to, you found nine. Um, is, so is there a way to quantify um, a particular pathway and then say, okay, you're like a seven slash eight, or is that is that kind of how it's looked at? Or do you look at it more um, um, singularly? Um,
1: at the end, in- the the initial phase is to look at it singularly. So, um, say take a pop like an example in a research project. You take a population, you ask them the questions, and then you collect that their responses. You profile them, you figure out what pattern they're closest to, which pattern is dominant uh, on their behavior, and then it takes a secondary analysis to then figure out proportionally now how do all the patterns. How are the, all the patterns impacting this person? So it's it's a two-step process.
0: That makes me wonder, the the language you used about, you know, if when you're in resonance or basically when you're in tune with the pattern, then the pattern can then affect you just like a radio station picking, or a radio picking up a radio station. Is it possible to then, look, so let's say, you know, I'm strongly path eight. Uh, that's That's clear. Are there things that I could do, and I wouldn't necessarily want to do them purposefully, but let's say, accidentally, could I, let's say there's a huge upheaval in my life, Um, you know, I move for some reason, all my, you know, social support, uh, you know, all my pattern, my daily patterns, all of those things, like, are just totally destroyed, I have to start over an entirely new environment, in entirely new situations, Um, could I start to display things that are in tune with a different pattern that could then actually push me in that direction. Is that possible basically that you know you could you could either accidentally or on purpose start to try to put yourself in tune with a different pattern and it will then have some influence on you can Can it work that way uh uh
1: uh, let me say, <laughs> I, I, say that, and let me give my answer in a, in a proportional way. Okay. <laughs> if you're in path two, path eight, and I believe it's path three, and you're at least 30% of the way to that pattern, unlikely. A- unless you moved someplace where the environment is completely different. Mm -hmm. where you wouldn't have, um, you work, you move to, to, you know, the deep jungles of Africa, Okay, (laughs) then you might see a difference because, because the patterns form from the response we have to our normal surroundings. You know, it isn't, people adapt. I don't adapt to my city. Mm -hmm. I adapt to my house and my neighborhood and, and the things in my the things that I can see, you know, um, and that that's what affects a person's pattern. So, if you're normally responsive to health information, all of a sudden that's gone, then that dynamic's no longer there.
0: Right. Okay.
1: So
2: it sounds like it, it takes big life changes or big events to really kind of um, make that path different,
1: potentially. Yeah, if if you think of this path, if you think of the path as a whole, once you go over the edge, once you're past 30% of the way in, but I'll tell you, it depends on the pattern. If you're in path two and you're 30% of the way in, you're never leaving. If you're in path eight and you're 30% of the way in, you're never leaving. But if you're in path three, you can be 40% of the way in and still come out in a sense. Same thing with path five and path six, because they, uh, again, I, I've analyzed this in mathematical, but you can look at the distribution of people within each of the patterns and how they're spread out or they're clustered together. And people in path three, it's not like path three is this shallow bowl and everybody's everywhere within that bowl. So, when you look at 20% of the people, they can be at the top 10%. You know, they're, they're near the rim of the bowl compared to, say, Path 2, that the health-contented group. They're a very deep bowl. The, the rim of that bowl is very, very steep. So once you're in, it's very hard to jump out again. And most of the people in Path 2, they're all, they're all 70% of the way there. Very few of them are thirty percent at the thirty percent level. Same thing with with the path eight, independently healthy. Half that population is seventy percent of the way to that pattern, so they're they're not leaving, you know. But people in path three, it's just because it's a shallower bowl. I'll say, half of those people are only forty percent of the way in, so that means there's a big chunk they're able to sweep out if things would change. So it did, so yeah so the the dynamics of, of people around each pattern is different. And so the ability to change from one pattern to the other depends on the pattern you start in.
0: So is it possible, you know, we haven't really talked about what forms these patterns you just hinted at a little bit. Uh, and you yes. and I have talked about that. Is it possible if you, you know, look at these patterns and let's say you, you have young children is there anything you can do besides identifying what they might be naturally uh, disp- uh, disposed to do? Is there anything you could do to create an environment that, you, you know, you? I just, I keep thinking of physical systems and, you know, I know if you've got the system, maybe it looks stable and you just hit it in the right way, it can resonate, but you've got to do some work to make that resonance happen. I'm just wondering if, uh, for some of the, especially if we're younger in these pattern, we're not too close to a pattern yet. Um, are there things that can be done to help maybe push them towards one pattern so that, you know, they get basically sucked into the good patterns if possible?
1: I don't know. <laughs> uh, one one thing about these patterns is that they've been validated in people over the age of 18. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you that that there are nine patterns, but there's a group of people that don't fall into a pattern. And I actually actually designed the initial research to allow for people to not be in a pattern. And so at the age of eight, but from like 18 to 23 years old, there's a big chunk of people who aren't in a pattern. They're like path zero. They're not in a pattern yet. Mm -hmm. My youngest daughter was path zero until recently. And we kept I kept assessing her and she was always in this path zero. They don't have a consistent pattern. I've tried separating them out and doing a new analysis on them. They just do not group together. They don't show the influence of any pattern on them. But once you pass the age of 25, 26, 27, then that, that path zero starts to shrink and more people start to fall into a pattern. And by the time you're 80 years old, the, the path zero is 3% of the population at the age of 18. It's 20%. So, so there is a, there is a developmental component to it.
0: So I was going to ask what path did your youngest daughter shift to
1: independently healthy path eight.
0: Oh, she, so is she more than 30% of the way there?
1: I haven't evaluated that. <laughs> okay. Like, I haven't evaluated that, but, but she's staying consistent with her, with her switch. And this is the thing about behavior change. There's a lot of models of behavior change, like the the stages of change model, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I think the changing a path pattern is more like a, a complex dynamic system change where it's a, an abrupt change, like you mentioned, you know, you can hit something and it disrupts the whole thing. And all of a sudden, things change, and there's a new pattern that forms. Um, that's how these seem to behave. Because I'll tell you my story is that when I was younger, I was wasn't physically active at all. I was kind of a pudgy kid, and and you know, it was just kind of soft. And and when I went into seventh grade, right when adolescence hitting is hitting, and um, you know, I I was kind of big, but I was big and pudgy too. And my mom said I was husky, but I, you know, am big and fat oh, right. <laughs> and I got picked on cause I was big and there was, I was soft, but between the summer of seventh and eighth grade, something changed and I just started to work out. My dad had a weight set in the garage. I started pumping the weights three times a day. I had a bar in the backyard. I started doing pull-ups every day. And when I went back to eighth grade, I was different. I was. I lost my weight. I had muscles. Uh, completely different. It's changed. It's lasted my whole lifetime. So, I would say that when the pattern starts to hit is unpredictable. You you don't you know. I can tell after the age of eighteen where it's going to hit. Mm-hmm. And I've seen research that shows that 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 looks like by the by adolescence you can start to see the effects of the patterns where there's women or more. in. Uh, one thing I didn't say is that that ready user healthcare driven type, mm-hmm. the path seven, there are 70% women. Oh, wow. So, so yeah. in adolescence, you see women are more in a cluster of pattern of people that like nutrition, but don't exercise. Whereas there is a pattern there that's the healthiest group and they're dominated more by men than women. So it's, you know, you could see that's an adolescence. So you could see the seeds of the patterns that I found mm-hmm. earlier. Right. And, and it just takes, there's
0: just, it seems like, you know, at least when you're young or when you're in pattern zero, uh, we'll just call it, there is a chance for there to be some major event that could shake things up. Yes. Okay.
1: But, but it's, but it's also, but it's also likely that it could just change on its own.
0: Right. Right. Well, how would, so I'm just, I'm kind of curious, you know, if you're path zero, you could just start basically gravitating towards another path. Correct. If you're path zero or, or you're not strongly, you're not strongly enough in one of the other paths, like say path three. Okay. So you're your environment, I remember we had a conversation about even essentially where the the type of whether it's urban uh, versus suburbia, you know, where you grew up uh, can have some influence on your pattern or at least, you know, the direction that you might move. You already mentioned how, you know, in New York... Uh, you get this consistency of patterns from New York, which is huge metropolitan area to San Francisco. Um, and, and that to me is very fascinating. It says there's some similarities in those environments that kind of imprint certain patterns of health on us. Um, so, so that that's what I kind of wanted to follow up on. I just, I find that fascinating.
1: It ha- I think it has to do with, with the uh, level of urbanization in the United States. And I got the key to this when I did a study involved with um, a university, did a study in China and looked at, used the the path system to profile a bunch of older diabetics. And they surveyed in areas that were rural, like in the center of Beijing and then in the counties around Beijing. And then in this rural areas around Beijing and in the rural areas no one had a pattern. Hardly anybody fell into any one of the nine patterns. In the in the county area, about a third of them did. Once you got to Beijing, sixty percent of them did. There was still a large, you know, group that was not in a pattern. But there was a relationship between the level of urbanization and the, the population density, and having a pattern. Because in China, the only about of the population lives in urbanized areas, but they're moving there. So in a sense, China's going through a process that the United States have already gone through, where people move from farmlands and they tend to gravitate towards urbanized areas. And so where you live in highly dense populations, that's where the patterns form. So that I think these patterns of adapting to health one of the things that that creates them is a large population living close together in a defined area. Right. That just it, it's
0: you know I have this idea of like a pressure effect. Whereas if there's no there's no pressure or anything bearing down on a system, it's allowed to have a lot more degrees of freedom. Uh, we would say in physics, yes. it can it can do a lot more stuff it has a lot more options but once you start to apply some pressure those degrees of freedom really decrease and that almost sounds like uh there's a parallel here with these patterns you know if we're out in the wild like you said in the jungles of africa we don't have a lot of pressure around us to force us into the pattern but when we're in a highly urbanized area that urbanized pressure, like all those people and all the information, and probably there's a lot of other factors that pressure then creates the patterns that have the influence on us.
1: Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, there's, there are a lot more in urbanized. areas. a lot more rules of behavior that we learn to implicitly follow, um, how to walk down the street, how you look at a person, you know, which direction you walk. Um, How you navigate streets, how you navigate sidewalks, um, how you recognize property lines, all these different things we just take for granted. But they're, like you say, they do reduce our degrees of freedom. And they require a lot more implicit, in a sense, unconscious patterns of habit in order to adapt to it all. And it becomes so much information, our brains can't handle it in a conscious way. That's why I say, I think that's one of the reasons why it's difficult for a person to to have the wherewithal to change a pattern because a lot of the behaviors that feed it, there's many of them, there's interactions behind them that we don't not aware of.
0: So one of the best things you could do is just be aware of your pattern and to be aware of, you know, here's the things that you're susceptible to, and then in some instances here you are in a place where you could change and maybe you're on the cusp of between being able to change and not change. I mean, it, it sounds like everybody should know and the younger, the better what their pattern is. It would give them an amazing amount of information and might open up a window for change that could, could close. Correct. I mean, you, you could be in kind of this, you know, you're outside of that 30% region. Uh, you know, you're not quite set, but if you don't know, you could very quickly be attracted to that pattern that you don't want to be in. Is that that a fair assessment?
1: Yes. But but again, when I say you're in a pattern, you're stuck there. I mean you're stuck there because you don't know you're in it.
0: Ah, so once you know you you're in it, there is a possibility to start to to modify things.
1: I think I think that is a possibility. But it, it it's almost like you um and what I would say is it because you have to know where you are and then where you're going. It's just like picking up uh using Google Maps to figure out I want to drive to my house to over there. You have to know where you're starting and then where you want to go to in order to figure out the right way to navigate to get there. Mm-hmm. So I think if you want to change, most people would want to change to become the independently healthy pattern only because it's going to mean for their whole lives, they're going to have the best quality of life. That's just, you know, that's what the data shows. That levels of mental health, physical health, all these different things, low debility disease, you get older, all those things seem to follow the path eight pattern, the independently healthy pattern. So if a person wants to change, and I think it's possible for person two, but it's going to be easier for say path seven to change the path eight than for path two to change to path eight. It's not impossible, but it's could be harder. But one of the key things you have to know is where am I now and what I have to, what do I have to change to become path eight, to start approaching path eight?
2: I would say, I was assume that, um, even if you recognize the path you're in, that component of denial can be there because the groove that you are in that path is so deep. Is that kind of a good way, a way of thinking about it that way? And you have to kind of break that groove to not only to change that path, but also even, even if you do realize you're in that path because of you're ingrained in that.
1: Yes. Um, And uh, in the book, I go through the last chapter about, you know, can I change my path? And I'll say that that the biggest part of that is going to be your own self-evaluation of yourself. When you look at how you are now and you look, study it objectively, you have to spend some time looking at it. And you look at each component of it and then evaluate, can I change that? What I want to change that why do, Why does doing this specific part of this pattern, why does that work for me? And why does doing the opposite not work for me? So a person have to do some evaluation of, of where they are now. And, you know, so a person who's open to changing is going to be a person who's willing to look at themselves and really evaluate, uh, how did I start this? Why did I always choose this? this instead of the opposite. And then as they evaluate that and figure out, now that I see that I thought by choosing why that it was the best for me because it satisfies my immediate needs and it feels best to me. but over the long term of my lifetime, me from, from my point where I am now to the end, the pattern shows I'm not doing the right thing if I want to change, I have to switch this response in this situation to this and move it. And so then after that, now you're conscious of it. A person is conscious of it. there. And, and when once your awareness is the beginning of everything, awareness is the beginning of the change. So you have to become aware and not just being told, here, here's what you are, but be, becoming aware of deeply. And seeing, okay, I, I'm here. I want to be here. What do I have to do?
0: And that again makes me think of a physical system. We, when, uh, and this ama- analogy may be appropriate, it may not, but you can't get, so you can take really complex systems or you can take simple ones and you can make them go into chaotic motion, but you can only make that happen if you apply some sort of kind of internal driving force. If you drive it, you can shake it out of one of those stable patterns into something that looks chaotic for a while, but then you can shift it to a new stable pattern. Um, and this, this component of being self-aware of where you are sounds like the beginning of that driving force. If you're not self-aware of where you are, you could never apply I- anything, it sounds like, that could disrupt your pattern. It sounds like that, that's kind of the key, the first step to changing is to disrupt the pattern you're in if you want to change. Is that a fair? Yes. Oh, okay.
1: Yep. Yep, exactly. And the and the and because it does behave these patterns do match the behavior of a complex system. A person might decide I'm going to work to change and so I'm going to start I'm going to address two aspects of my profile. Because um, there's elements of each pattern that's similar so one thing about knowing where you're beginning and then knowing where you have to go, if you, if you know and study the, your own pattern then compare that to, say, Path 8, you'll figure out what things do I have to change, what things do I have to, I have to worry about. And so when you, once you focus on those things you have to change, you can take them step by step, and you may not feel a change for a while. You say there might be this disrupt, disruptive phase where it's kind of just chaotic, and then all of a sudden pop and you're in the pattern. That's the way systems change. It isn't through stages. Right. It's more like you work, you work, you work, you work. And all of a sudden, boom, all of a sudden it stops being work and you're just there.
0: Right. So you actually dropped a bomb that we hadn't, hadn't talked about yet. And that's that all of this information, all of your work, how can you, how you can learn about yourself, the steps you could take. Uh, not only in understanding your pattern, but starting to change your pattern, if that's possible for you, or if it's it's something you want, um, that's coming out in a a book that you just finished writing, uh, very recently. Yes, and um, on my my last podcast, I had talked about you know really the goal of Body IO as a company and as an entity is education. And because of that, I've decided to um, actually help authors who have amazing information that's not out there, not being used, or they're too busy um, to get it out to everybody. You know, one of my goals is to help them get that information out to the public. And, uh, I, you know, I'm lucky enough to have been able to work with uh, Dr. Navarro. I almost said Fred, but Dr. Navarro just sounds so cool. Uh, to work with dr navarro to get his book out and um you know i've been fascinated with this information for so long and and finally things just came together uh that we were able to to work together on this and i can you know get his information out to everybody so um i guess thanks for dropping that bomb uh fred (laughs) Um, yeah he's so you know this this information is coming out and be available to everybody like i said uh, that's why I'm super excited about it because it just it hasn't been available. Uh, and when he and I talked, our conversations were not something you could re- record. I don't think and get a lot out of because uh, they were in such high detail. But uh, the the book is very usable. I'm actually just really excited to get that information out to people, especially people in like Rocky's situation. Rocky, do you want uh, to? take Yeah, that? I'm like I'm, I'm biting. <laughs> I'm,
2: I'm I am I am. I am uh, really on the edge of my seat here, waiting to have that book in my my hot little hand because I think it'll be amazing to not only use both in my cl- clinic, but you know, as a provider and um, someone who's on the board of an accountable care organization. That's something that could hopefully drive outcomes um, for the positive, not only for um, a monetary standpoint, but from a outcome standpoint and health standpoint. So. Um, I, I'm very, very intrigued, and and, and
0: really can't wait to, to to
2: devour that book.
0: And and you have a certification program, correct? Like a a coaching a coaching platform that you you can actually go in and train somebody's staff uh, to recognize yes. these paths and react to them.
1: Yes. yes. Yes, and and I had a trial to test it to show that it does have very positive outcomes. Um. One of the real benefits of it, too, that I found is that the people under the care have a better experience. And that's the thing that really got me, made me feel really good, you know, the guy kind of good. I'm doing really good here by this, by knowing this science about people. Is that the care that people are getting as a result of clinicians knowing who they are, a better tuner who they are, what their strengths and weaknesses are, um... Patients are having a better experience. They have a better, um, um, and they don't even know why it's just a better experience. (laughs) Well, it it even sounds like even the provider,
2: those even have a more fruitful experience. And I think that can go a long way because we know that healthcare providers are getting burnt out more and more and changing fields and, and to be able to affect that change and and have satisfaction from what you're doing
0: um, is really really important from a from a provider standpoint. Yeah, we've had that discussion uh, not even that long ago, if I recall, Rocky. <laughs> I feel like I I just dawned on me I'm the only one on this call without a PhD or it's any kind of doctorate whatsoever. <laughs>
1: You certainly deserve an honor, an honorary one. That's
0: for sure. (laughs) Well, thanks. Uh, maybe
1: Uh, somebody will be. Doctorate of hard
0: knocks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Maybe, I'll maybe I'll get, get one one day, but, um, you know, for now I will gladly, uh, converse with the doctors out there so that, you know, I, I can accumulate and assimilate some of this knowledge and also get it out there to the audience uh, it, you know, this, this is one of the more exciting things that I've learned about over the past couple of years. And one of the things that actually I was quite frustrated and I'm, I'm happy that uh, Fred wanted to do this because I was so frustrated that he was keeping this in a clinical setting. I was like, this is just, this is information everybody needs to know. This is information that everybody can use. And it, it just, it really needs to get out there. And you know, luckily that opportunities come up that we can get this out there and it won't just be, um, you know, maybe your doctor knows about it or maybe it doesn't like you can know, uh, and you can start to disrupt your patterns if they're bad ones, um, and reinforce your pattern if it's a good one. And I think that's just invaluable. And for someone like Rocky, or if you're coaching people for whatever reason, or, uh, you're in charge of people and you're trying to help them with their health, nutrition, or any kind of. Changes like that, you know, knowing this information about the person that you're working with would also be just fundamental to both of your successes. Anybody have any, we're actually at the end of our hour. Uh, it, it went a little faster than I anticipated. Um, but does anybody have any closing remarks or things they'd like to, to
1: say? No, I'll, I'll, my last thing I'll say is that, that, um, it, Yes, I think uh, um, I'm really happy to f- have found a way to get this out to people because you're right. People do need to know about this aspect of um, their own health and and how it's affecting them because um, you, you can't do anything about it if you don't know about it. You, you can't plan or change anything if you don't know about uh, um, this aspect of your health and because it does have, does have such a profound impact on people's health, they need to know about it, definitely.
2: Yeah, that's great. I'm Thanks. definitely excited to learn about more more about it and um, hopefully apply it to um, my everyday clinic as well as what we do here in, in, the, in the Phoenix area, among other providers that we are um, linked to.
0: Yeah, maybe that would be a good inroad to, um, maybe you can get uh, Dr. Navarro up there to, to do some of the training. Uh, Put it into practice. That'd be amazing. Yeah, yeah. I would love to love to do that. That would would be great. All right. Um, Unfortunately, uh, Fred Doctor Navarro does not have a a home on the interwebs yet. Uh, We're gonna hopefully try to convince him to write some articles for us on Body.io so that we can get that uh, rolling. But you know, I will definitely keep the audience abreast of when this book is coming out. It'll be really soon. Uh, you know, I'm I'm trying really hard to get this thing out, uh, and you know, just get it ready to go. And I, th- I think Fred's pretty excited for it to hit as well. And now now Rocky is, so that's at least three people that are excited for this book to hit hit the <laughs> uh, the sales channel.
2: I think once the podcast hits, there'll be many, many more.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is uh, you know, I think this. I'll be honest. Um, You know, when my stuff came out, I never thought of it as a game changer. And I think for some people, they they do see it that way. Um, I never thought of it that way. Um, But this, you know, one reason I'm so proud to be involved with helping to get this out there is I think this research and the culmination of what's been put together about it is a game changer. I honestly think this is a game changer, especially in the U.S., uh, where we have such horrible healthcare problems, and one of the major problems there is nobody's addressing how to help people understand how to be healthier people, um, and this is one of the, the really the first first keys I've I've seen to that. I I honestly think this is, this is going to be a game changer, and uh, we just need to get this information out there. So I, I will leave that as my final endorsement before ending the podcast. If anybody thinks, thanks again, Fred, for being on the show. Uh, this was, a, I know an inconvenient time. Thank to record, you. I,
1: it was a so. great, great experience. Great to meet you. Look yep. forward to Likewise, more communication right. with you. Yes. I look forward to that too.
0: All right. So that's another episode of body.io FM. Everybody uh, like us on iTunes and everywhere else that you can find us. Uh, check back on the website often for more information and, and, if you wanna be kept abreast of Fred's work and when his book will be published, sign up on the website, body.io, uh, get your name in the email list and we will let you know as soon as that's available. All right, until next time. You've been listening to Body.io FM with your hosts, Kiefer and Dr. Rocky. If you'd like to hear more, log on to body.io. We'll be back next time with more science from the pinnacle of human health and performance.